If you're looking to experience more pleasure in your life and a deeper level of connection with yourself and or your intimate partners in 2023, let's work together. Hello, I'm Stacey O, maitre d' of Finger Food Podcast and Holistic Sexuality Coach. You can apply to work with me by visiting my website, www.stacyogorman.com, or by clicking the link on this podcast bio. Welcome to Finger Food. I'm your maitre d', Stacey O, and I'm here to serve you intimate conversations around sexuality and pleasure. On the menu is a selection of heart-to-hearts with people who vulnerably share their stories, insights, and perspectives. This podcast is about sex and so much more. We explore connection, letting go of judgment, and accepting ourselves exactly as we are. Let's dine. In this intimate conversation, I chat to JC Tanuvasa. JC is a multifaceted artist known for pioneering the Aotearoa ballroom scene. She was born and raised in South Auckland and has become a mother of the International House of Aman. Her artistry and activism as mother of Aman has been a force, creating safe and sensitive spaces in Aotearoa, New Zealand, and spreading awareness for queer POC and marginalised communities. In this intimate conversation, JC talks about having autonomy over her identity, pansexuality, what voguing and ballroom actually is, hormone replacement therapy, survival sex work, fetishization, beauty standards, and so much more. She is a wealth of knowledge, and it was such an honor to have her on the show. It's great to have you here at the table. Let's get started. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome, JC. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Let's just get straight into it. So first and foremost, where are you from and what's your family background? Um... Yes, yeah, so Tala Falava. Um, my name is JC Tonavasa. I am 28 years young. <laughs> um, I'm born and raised in Tamaki Makoto, um, um, Aotearoa. I have a beautiful family of eight, and I'm currently um, living in South Auckland. Um, I say currently because 
maybe I won't be living in there by the time this airs. <laughs> but yeah, born and raised in um, beautiful South Auckland. Amazing. Beautiful. And what are your pronouns and what do they mean to you? So my pronouns are she and her. Um, and they mean to me a great deal of um, sovereignty over my identity. Yeah. Hmm. Amazing. Can you elaborate on that? I think um, being able to choose in a world that's so pressuring and kind of has the layout of how you should be from the day you were born. Mm. So I think to be able to have autonomy over my identity um, is a brave thing as a trans woman mm. to do. And so for me to out loudly say my pronouns are she and her is having autonomy and sovereignty over who I am um, outside of the male gaze and outside of um, westernization and colonization. Hmm. Amazing. And what is your sexual orientation in this moment? <laughs> and what does that mean to you? My sexual orientation, girl, <laughs> it has done some transitions, just like my identity, girl. <laughs> um, so currently I identify as pansexual. Um, I have yet to be with um, cis women physically, but I have beautiful relationships platonically. And I feel like that's enough for me to identify as pansexual. But I have um, cross paths with um, trans men and cis men and queer men. And so I am in the journey of leading up to the ladder of being super diverse in mm. who I share my body with and my mind. Mm. That's so amazing. And... You're the New Zealand voguing ballroom pioneer and mother. Um, I watched the Vice doco on the voguing community here in Auckland, which you feature in. Um, and I've been to a couple of the balls here in New Zealand as a spectator. And I'm just completely in awe of the work that you do. And it's just fucking amazing. <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit about... Um, Faf Swag and Voguing and the House of Aman, which is your mm -hmm. house. Um, and, yeah, the origins and, and all of it. Um, yeah, so if I go deep, we'll be here forever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I'll touch on it um, in terms of highlights. Um, so in early, like, I would say, like, maybe 2009, um, is when I kind of discovered Ballroom. Um, and so I found it through America's Best Dance Crew, which is a competition going on in America. And then they had Vogue Evolution, which is um, a Vogue dance group. Mm -hmm. And so for the first time, I saw um, a trans woman um, on television in terms of movement that I felt reflected by. Mm -hmm. And so quickly I was drawn um, by the movements and the unapologetic um, femininity, but in a sense where it felt very urban and relatable to South Auckland. Mm. And then um, as myself and girls of my generation um, were learning about Vogue Femme and discovering it in different pathways, and my one was television, America's Best Dance Crew. Um, in the high schools, everyone was like voguing on rugby school fields on their lunchtime. And then, and, and different stories for different communities. Mm. And then, so 
um, schools like Calston Boys High, De La Salle College, and like St. Peter's, Auckland Boys, had a bunch of queer femmes like living their best lives on school rugby fields. <laughs> and like intermission performances when special guests come and be like, who wants to dance battle? And all the vloggers would get up. Oh my God, amazing. And we probably only knew like three elements at the time in our performance. Um, and then in terms of New Zealand mainstream Vogue dance crew, um, who uh, has like trans women like Aroko Atsuhura and um, Amanaki Prescott Faleta, also known as Hope. And they navigated kind of like street dance industry here, as well as like Modi Television and Tangata Pacifica at the time. And so 2009 for me was the era that uh, all of us sparked the interest in Vogue and Vogue Femme. And then Fastway came along around. I would say 2013, 13 or 2012. And they were like, okay, to um, other mothers, mistress, um, also known as Moi Langa and Felinci Filippo, also known as Mother Aito, um, asked them like, okay, we're, we put on community events. Um, what do you think the girls want? Oh, they want a Vogue ball. <laughs> and so um, not necessarily knowing exactly what, they were doing but knowing that this is a need and like first trial is you get a first trial from what a first trial looks like and so um we it was a great time i didn't go because i was on my last year of studying mm. and so oh yes yeah, so it was 2013 and then um 2014 is when i competed and then that's when i immersed myself in the culture because i had been someone that had studied it since 2009 mm. and so um i jumped in and tagged along with Fastwag, not only as a collaborative artist but as a um kind of like someone that knows ballroom and how um a ball would kind of go throughout a night and mm -hmm. what categories looks like and and educating and it was myself and Darren Tanyue which is also known as who was also known as Envy Iman and then since then alongside other pioneers we just grew the culture and um now it's everyone wants a ball yeah and the pioneers are like we are tired <laughs> We are tired, but um, it's beautiful to create um, safe spaces for us to live our best lives and mm. feel our fantasies and love up on our bodies and all mm. parts of our transition mm. and find refuge in chosen families. Mm. And then, um, and also highlighting what's missing um, outside of our community. So in terms of communities across the board, um, we're thinking about um, creating safe spaces um, Borum is a great example and it's like tripled effect like kind of domino effect to other spaces like okay look what they're doing like and so um, I would like to say that Borum I'm not only a pioneer of Borum but Borum is a pioneer of safe um, POC queer spaces um, mm. and then safe spaces in general in Aotearoa mm. okay so just to clarify voguing originated in is it originated in the u.s like mm -hmm. the actual voguing culture and, and yeah. voguing specifically is like a form of street dance specifically for queer and trans queer yes so um in like early 70s and it can even go further back not too sure but like early 70s is the one that everyone references back to um um there was like a disruption in pageant culture the community came up with categories such as runway, fashion, 
and then came up with Vogue Femme. And I mean, it started with Old Way, then went New Way, and then Vogue Femme. So the, mm. the style that you see today is developed. So the style that everyone's dancing now, which is Vogue Femme, was birthed by trans women. Mm. And so Old Way is kind of what you would see on Madonna's video clip. Very yeah. poses and um, shapes and structures. And then trans women came into the movement and made it more fluid and elegant and feminine. Mm. And so then it not only transitioned in movement, it transitioned in the sound as well. Mm. And so today um, what you'd be seeing is a lot of Vogue femme that was birthed by tra- um, black and Latina trans women. And the, and what's the um, – so the different houses – do they compete against each other? Like, what? How does that work? Yeah, girl, it is <laughs> a competition within a competition within a competition, girl. Um, so we try to um, remember our roots, which is Borum is one entire family, and then in this big family, you have your what outsiders will say is like your dance group or your clique Mm -hmm. um but in ballroom context it's our chosen families Mm -hmm. so who um nurtures you and not only just in ballroom but inside your real life because not many queens don't have that next level of nurturing or no nurturing at all from their blood relatives Mm -hmm. and so they find refuge in chosen families and i think chosen families is the idea of a best friend there's there's no such thing as a best friend. There's a friend. A best friend more so is like a sister mm. or a brother. Um, and so that's what we've taken on but as creating a group that we consider family. But in my sitting in my chair today <laughs> and what I've learned in my many years of being a house mother, <laughs> um, like even without the house names. So you have in, in New Zealand we have Shout out to House of Aitzu, um, House of Coven, um, House of Delamore, Givenchy, Dawn, and the Wellington Borum community, and so many if I've missed any. Hmm. But um, I've real I've really learned that it's the connection between the family that it's important that's most important rather than representing the house name. Okay. Um, because we get lost in competition. Yeah. And so, and you have to be okay with when children want to leave the house, mm. but it doesn't necessarily mean they leave you and don't have a relationship with you. Mm. And so I had to learn that the hard way because I'd be like, you left, you know, me and da da da, all mm. these things. But um, I've learned to detach the importance of carrying the house name as a group and more, and what's more important is, um, the relationships between each other. Because mm. our namesake can come and be like, I don't want you guys to have my house name. And I'm like, okay, the house name's gone. I'll be still a family. Yeah. And I think that's what's most important. Wow. Yeah. That's fucking beautiful. And also, do individuals leave the house and go to another house? Like, does that happen? Yes. So <laughs> it can be cute and, like, um, transparent and, like, Go spread your wings because, like, sometimes, like, a house can only offer you so much and you, let's say you've graduated. Mm. Um, and so, like, if another house is offering you something that sparks you, that's pushing you, um, and you have that transparent conversation with the house parents, it can be a beautiful transition and, like, set you free. Like, go do your thing. Like, that's totally beautiful. Wow. But then um, the reality is it can be very messy. Mm. I'm not happy here or I don't like this person in this house or I'm not a fan of you mother at this moment bye mm. and so that does happen as well um, but that's why I don't 
I'm trying my best to not take the house name so serious. Yeah. Um, because I think the relationship is more important. Mm. Um, and yeah, so that it, it can get really messy. Mm. Um, but from when I lost my first child last year, or kind of like in the beginning of this year, I lost my first child this year. Mm. And like I cried like a baby. Oh. Yeah, it was a big deal. Mm. Um, but I learned very quickly because I met a legend from American ballroom scene in Australia when I did some workshops there. Mm. And she gave me like the best advice. And she was just like, you're taking it too seriously. <laughs> and she was just like, ballroom is our home where we get our energy, our love, get some ideas, um, be creative with each other. But it's, you meant to leave the nest and go conquer things in your personal life and in the world. And it's so easier to help others than yourself if you're not in love with yourself. Mm. And so I quickly listened to that and I was like, you're right. Let me go and sort out myself. And then um, me looking after myself enables others to think about how they fill their own cup. Mm. That's so beautiful. How does one become a mother? Well, it depends. It's literally like there's no really specific framework. Sometimes people want to become mothers because they're like, I'm ready to take up that responsibility. I'm ready to look after people. I'm ready to show them something new to the scene. Um, and sometimes like people are very ambitious and they choose to do it at such a young age. And we're like, go off, do your thing. But it is not an easy job, mm. especially if you're serious about it. You know, anyone serious about the idea of being a mother, motherhood, um, they will quickly learn that it can be very overwhelming. Mm. And so what I've learned was um, sometimes the family deems you. And I think that's the most beautiful way to be asked to be a mother is when a whole group of people are looking at you and like, we want you to be our mother. And so um, I know that that's what happened with um, Valencia Aito. So at first it was like fast swag. And then they needed to switch the, the collector from a ballroom house. And so when they made that transition, they were looking for the house parents. And all of them voted Lindsay to be the mother. Mm. And I thought that was pretty beautiful to wow. be looked at as someone maternal. Mm. Yeah. So when you came over last week, you mentioned you were going back on the hormones and that it's been a real journey for you. Do you feel comfortable talking about your journey, your journey with hormone replacement therapy? Yeah, I think um, I'm definitely comfortable. I think it's a conversation that I haven't dived into in a while, mm. especially knowing that um, being surrounded by so many young trans women, um, that are just blossoming into the identity. So I'm mm. happy to talk about it. Yeah, girl, so she's going back on her hormones. <laughs> <laughs> she's looking a bit masculine, um, mm. which I think is fine. But just for my journey, um, it's it's me settling. It's me kind of not taking care of myself. So what I'd like to say is um, I'm so in love with who I am. I'm just not in love with how I am. Mm. And I think... Um, when you think about insecurities and and dysphoria, it gets to a point where you have to like uh, I forgot her her name, but this trans woman said it really beautifully. She was just like, insecurities is like um, can be like flatmates. You necessarily don't want to live with them, but like you just deal with it because you gotta you gotta live, you gotta move on, you gotta 
be around these things for you to survive. And Mm. so for me, I look at my, I've looked at my dysphoria and um, and my insecurities as, as things that I just have to be content with because it's who I am today. Mm. But um, I think in my many years of um, serving my love languages, which is acts of service, I've, made the most disservice to myself mm. in the sense of not taking care of myself. But it's just so hard when it's your heart is always up for others instead of yourself. Mm. But again, with that thing that I learned um, this year from Asia, Asia West from the ballroom scene, is that like it's easier to look after others when you're not in love with yourself. Mm. It's easier to love up on others. And so for me, jumping back on my hormones is me taking my transition seriously. Mm. I think I got a bit um, tired of effort and pushing my best foot forward because of accessibility in New Zealand for trans women to thrive um, and their transitions almost comes to like a standstill. Mm. And I grew up around many older trans girls saying, I'm going to be doing all these things by the age of 25. And some of them are like 30 plus and haven't got any done, anything done. And so it's mm. kind of like a thing that I grew up knowing in the sense of like, it's not going to happen. And so I got to a certain point in my transition where I just like kind of gave up. Mm. But now that um, social media and things are being a bit more accessible, I'm looking around like everyone's getting things done. And I'm like, okay, it's possible. Mm. And then I'm looking at some of my relationships with my friends and and my family, um, chosen family. They're affirming me like, girl, sort it out. Mm. Do the things, girl. Like, you're not a girl with a beard, girl. <laughs> that is not your vibe. And like, yeah, I know. <laughs> It's like, so go to your laser, go do your hormones. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Um, Mm. But it was hard for me to kind of choose myself. Mm. But I am now, Mm. slowly but surely. And so my goal is to be fully fab in the year 2024 and walk a beauty category at the ball. Oof. Because I can, I only Vogue and do runway, but um, beauty categories, it's a different standard. Mm. It's It's a different, like, um showing off of how much how much work you've done for yourself. And a lot of girls had to go through some dark areas in their life to achieve that. And so I would like to be one of those girls. Yes, oh, <laughs> to that goal. I love that. And excuse my ignorance, but when you go through the hormone therapy and then off it and then on, like how many times have you gone on and off it in your journey? So I'm 28 now. And the last time I was on it properly was at the age of 21. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and then in certain points of my life, I would jump back on it just to, just to stop my acne. Mm. And then, because, like, when you jump off um, both your testosterone blockers and hormones, you can kind of have, like, a flush of, like, oily skin and body hair and mm. acne. And it's just, like, basically feeling like you're going through puberty again. Mm. Or sometimes when girls go through their menstrual, menstru- menstrual cycle and they're, like, going through it, it's kind of giving that. Okay, wow. And so, um, in, so when I had jumped off, like, I fully... Um, I could see the physical change, um, but my mental change was what I enjoyed. Uh, it does make the hormones can make you emotional, but mm. the number one um, 
advice that I was told before I jumped on it is take control over the hormones, not the hormones take control of you. Mm. Because it can be um, emotionally overwhelming. Because uh, you can feel fatigued. Um, yeah, lots of tiredness. Very much in the feels. And you kind of lose, and you lose your sex drive. Mm. Um, especially when the testosterone's not pumping. And so, yeah, you lose your sex drive. And then you gain a lot of weight. Mm. And so, Whoa. my brain could not handle that in the air, especially in my years of studying. So, like, here's me trying to study and then trying to navigate my transition and then, you know, a little bit blindsided about boys, you know, in mm. that era, dating, wanted a boyfriend, all of these things. Mm. They mentally couldn't handle it. And so, I made the courageous decision to stop, not only because I was a little bit lazy, but um, <laughs> but because I couldn't handle the emotional turmoils. Like, I would be writing novels on Facebook <laughs> and poetry on Facebook. Yeah. And people would be like, is she all right? <laughs> it's like, she's all right. She's just an extrovert. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, but I do believe that you can overcome them. You just have mm. to be in the right mentality like hormones is a very beautiful thing that offers girls um so much um positive things it's just like you it's no joke like you have to be really prepared for it um to yeah but um Mm. a lot of girls um that want to get to the end of their transition um which usually is like um physical change in terms of surgery okay they put themselves in um and like this brainstorm of like, okay, how, what's the quickest way to get there? Or how can I get there? And often like a nine to five doesn't cut it. And then sometimes a nine to five is difficult for a trans woman to, to sustain because of who they are and how they look. Mm. And so a lot of trans girls jump into, um, well, not a lot, but in my world, I know many trans girls that have jumped into survival sex work yeah. um, as a form of means to support them in their transition and so when you're in survival sex work um you have so many types of people um contacting you that fetishize um trans bodies Mm. and so part of that fetishization is the activation of trans women's um penises and so with that um some trans women sacrifice not being on hormones so that downstairs can work um for survival sex work to pay off their breast augmentation or face or whatever wow okay so when so with hormone therapy is the ideal state for a trans woman to be on the hormones is that just like consistently taking them for the rest of your life Mm -hmm. you never stop taking them you don't reach a point where you're like okay i've taken the hormones now and now so um, when you don't have um, testosterone um, in your system, you need something. And so that's where the estrogen comes in. Um, testosterone blockers is a thing until you get rid of your testicles or you get um, sexual reassignment surgery down there. Then you don't need to take blockers anymore. Okay. Because yeah. you've got rid of got it. the man in the mirror. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Um, um yeah and so there's so much conversations um around these things but again like um not every trans woman needs to be on hormone therapy not every trans woman wants to look femme Mm -hmm. and i really want to acknowledge that Mm -hmm. um and you don't need to appeal to society society's beauty standards in order for you to feel 
um, complete mm. as a woman. But I understand that it is a survival tool to be desired, mm. um, to be somewhat beautiful. Beautiful people have a lot of privilege. Yeah. And then possibility, um, not being able to be kind of clocked as trans gives you a lot of um, stability and survival in life. Growing up, you hear people say, like, education is really important. Everyone be educated. But for a trans person, it's different. You can be educated mm. and not possible and still get beat up on the streets or still not mm. be offered a job because of the way you look. And so, like, you can be educated. And so sometimes, like, the word on the street for some girls is, like, you have to look after yourself as well in terms of your appearance because the reality of this world is, mm. isn't kind. Even to regular people, like, looks is a big deal. Mm. Um, so transition for me is a tool of survival. Wow. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ow, Okay. So you mentioned you're starting a GoFundMe um, page for your gender-affirming surgery that mm-hmm. you're planning to have soon. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah, girls. So I have been read <laughs> to filth by my girls. And so <laughs> I, I am very hesitant about um, asking for help. Mm-hmm. That's just not my um, character, um, especially to strangers. Maybe my character to my girls. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> been in conversation with many girls that have done their growth on me and they have been joining me like what are you waiting for um you have put in so much work and this and that and in my head it's like it's not even about putting in the work like i feel like um i wouldn't want my gofundme to look like an iou service Mm. and so my main reason for like being really hesitant about it is like coming from someone or coming from um, a lived experience and also many lived experiences around me where like money doesn't grow on trees mm. and um, there's different types of survivals um, and then in terms of being an artist artists are looking for money <laughs> like, and then, then thinking about living in New Zealand everyone is trying to find a house <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and so I, I got really really hesitant to ask for money especially like just after a pandemic and so, like, I've been contemplating it for two years. But what really mm-hmm. got me was um, one of my girls was sitting next to me um, in Sydney. And we were in my little hotel suite. And she was saying, like, girl, I messaged you about, you know, advice about launching my GoFundMe. 
last year in November. And I was like, yeah. And they go, and then you said that you're going to do yours for Pride Festival. And it's like, yeah. And she goes, and who's sitting here with boobs and who's sitting here with no boobs? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, girl, I'll, I'll get onto it. <laughs> it's on the to-do list. <laughs> yeah. And then my other best friend, so like I went to Melbourne, I went to Melbourne, I mean Sydney, and then I went to Brisbane. And one of the girls um, in Brisbane said like, see, like, we deserve this. And, you know, like I've just did mine and I thought I'd never get support. And then all these like loved ones and like fans or whatever, or even mm. people I don't even know are supporting me and it's their choice. And so like, girl, I'm like halfway there. Oh. And I was like, okay, good to know. And then go to Melbourne and the girls in Melbourne, like, girl, you literally just do the post. And it's literally, you're not telling people to do it. Mm. It's like, they want to do it if they want to. So like, don't feel too um hesitant about it mm. and then i was like okay then and so i am releasing a gofundme Amazing. and then i thought about so usually the girls ask for like one thing or two things they won't say like hey help me head to toe yeah it's like help me at one point and then i'll do the rest mm-hmm. just a little mm-hmm. favor and so um my girls and i have sat down or one of my daughters and i have sat down and we really thought about it and I thought I'd ask the most difficult thing and the thing that I have the problem with the most, mm. which is um, what we call FFS, which is facial feminization surgery. Mm-hmm. And so I'll be asking for that. Um, and usually people would ask for like breast augmentation or downstairs. Mm-hmm. But I've decided to ask for um, my facial feminization surgery just because I feel like um, when I am doing my activism and pulling up for my community and standing in front of people and like... Um, yeah, just going around. I always have an overwhelming anxiety before I go. Mm. Then as soon as I stand in front of people, I turn it off and I'm like, okay, bigger than you, get over get over it. Um, and at least you're doing it for a good cause. Yeah. But I would love to do it with a good cause and a less heavy weight on my shoulders. I'd love to feel like myself. Mm. I'd like to feel at peace when I stand in front of people and stand in front of cameras. Um doing the work for my community. Mm-hmm. And then um, also just for me, I have this like, we, Femme Queens and Borum, which are trans women, we always talk about fantasy, fantasy. For the fantasy, I was just my fantasy. And, mm. um, and then it gets to a point where I listen to the word and I'm like, this needs to be our reality. And we need to stop dreaming and be on the receiving end of mm. our realities that we deserve. Fucking A. Yes to this. Yes to this. And I think just like generally in society, there's like, there's not enough um, celebration around people, um, you know, getting support and asking Mm. for help. And I think it's so important. I think it's so courageous. And yeah, yeah, I just think it's amazing, incredible. And yeah. And that's the most, like, it's one of the most trickiest ones to get took off the list. Like Mm. girls sometimes like, would probably get to a certain age like okay it's never happening i'm buffing that goal yeah and so that's kind of why i wanted to ask for that one because it's the most almost unrealistic one to achieve okay okay all right so what does it look like what what does that surgery look like exactly so it it depends on the girl Mm -hmm. so um everyone like has a certain type of aesthetic or what we would say like fantasy for their um dream presenting you mm-hmm. know how they want to present yeah and so for me it 
it's, it's just more like working with what I got. And like, I still love the flavor, mm. but I, well, I, I it's funny because I want to talk in slang, but I want everyone to get it. <laughs> <laughs> so like in, in slang, I want to look cunt. I want to look pussy. <laughs> but yes. in um, a wider audience, um, you know, phrasing, um, it would I would say like my um, version of a, just a stunning, undeniable goddess. So in my head, I would love to be able to like walk around and deny men. <laughs> Oof. Yes. Yeah. Yes to that. Oh. Trust me, mm-hmm. but I can still get it with whatever I look like now, but <laughs> I know that um, it's just, it's power. Yeah. Um, feeling 100% um, in your skin is mm. unapologetic power that you release into this world. Mm. Um, I want to get as much power as I can. Mm. Um, okay, well, we're gonna go on a bit of a sidetrack journey to what to to more like your schooling years, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, so what were the conversations amongst your friends and like people at school and I guess like yeah, around sex and pleasure growing up. It's really interesting. Like, I can't speak for every, like, queer person, but, Mm. like, in queer communities, sex conversations is hella normal. Yeah. Like, it's so, like, what are you wearing today? But we're like, he's so cute. I would so suck his dick. Like, it's so normal (laughs) conversations. And I quickly realized, like, as I get older and, like, talking to wide ranges of, like, different communities and groups and people that my mouth is dirty. Mm. And I'm like... It's not dirty. It's sexually liberated. Mm, yes. <laughs> but, I can, uh, but I am someone that identifies as someone that's sexually liberated. And I can kind of talk about sex a bit too much because I just really love it. Mm. But in high school, it was very normal, especially when you go to an all-boys Catholic school and everyone's going through puberty, mm-hmm. including the girls. Yes. <laughs> and so, like, it's very much trick-or-treat, you know. It, the meat is around <laughs> and, you know, boys, majority of them is easy. <laughs> When you're young and horny boots, like, <laughs> you know, and then you have girls in the same school and we're the mm. only girls. Yes. Um, like flirting is normal. Discreet mm. hookups is normal. Mm. Um, and just being like super sexualized in school was like, was like a thing mm. because we were the only girls. So like at an all boys Catholic school, you would see even like female teachers be like sexually, um, yeah, uncomfortable. Like, the mm. boys would be rude to the teachers or behind their backs. Um, it's just, like, r- ransom hormones going yeah. around, you know? Yeah. And so, like, when you have a bunch of queer girls in an uh, all-boys Catholic school, it's like... Um, and then while boys are going through puberty, mm. it's almost, like, inevitable that the girls would meet with these boys. Um, but, uh, yeah, I had my first boyfriend in high school. Wow. Um it was like I would say a beautiful nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> In what way? Um, just being an openly trans girl going out with a straight boy that is handsome mm-hmm. um, at an all boys Catholic school. Uh, you can imagine the type of bullying. Mm. Um, but also, what was beautiful about it that I can take away was what it ignited in terms of conversations between 
parents and conversations with teachers, students' conversations. And then mm-hmm. because it was like like a viral thing, because it was like one of the first of its kind in Auckland, lots of schools knew as well. Mm-hmm. And then it like did like a triple effect, um, domino effect in the sense of like other trans girls started dating guys too. Like people started being more curious. Mm-hmm. But um, we still got a long way to go. <laughs> like it's, yeah. it's not as normal as we'd hoped. But it is closer than when I was in school in 2011 down. Mm. Yeah. And did you have to wear school uniform? And Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, we lifted the shorts. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Stacey Antonio, um, who is also Stacey's work makeup artist, mm. um, based in South Auckland, she was um, a girl, trans girl in my form. Her mum was a seamstress. So we would Amazing. go to her and she would sew our uniform tight. <laughs> So our shirts were tight, our mini shorts were either folded or she would um, intentionally fold them and like sew it. And we would get in trouble for our uniform. Um, once we got like new hair to faculty, they were mm. like, no makeup, type your hair, cut your hair. They try to shut us down, mm. but um, you can never shut us down. <laughs> <laughs> and this, I don't know if this is a um, appropriate question or not, but I'm just going to ask it. What um, do you feel like, you wanted to go to a girls' school or were you really comfortable at the boys' school? I, at the early stages um, in primary, I knew that I was, like, you know, flamboyant. I was different. Um, but I more just wanted to follow my friends. Yeah. And majority of them were girls, but they were going to, like, co-ed schools. And so... Mm. Um, when I went to an all boys Catholic school, I went to intermediate and then it transitioned into college at the same school. So usually like my siblings before me, they would all go to the co-ed schools or whatever, and then separate into like Auckland Girls Grammar and De La Salle. But when my brother was the first one to go to De La Salle, my mum found out that it was an intermediate as well. Mm. So once I finished primary, my mum was like, you're going to go there because it's easier. And like, you know, all these things. Mm. And so... I was the only one from my primary school that went to that school. So I was already kind of feeling isolated by myself. Mm. And so the idea that I had at that time was I want to go to school with my friends. Yeah. But I was, I quickly learned like halfway throughout the school. And and when I transitioned that my mom secretly put me in that school to be with the other Queens Mm. (laughs) Um, because I had a cousin that um, is trans who went to the school and was like a a fierce queen. Amazing. Um, and so my mom kind of had a little bit of a hope that I would connect to my group. Mm. And she did the right thing. Wow. Yeah. And have your parents been really supportive? Yeah. So I would say um, that when you're a teenager, you don't really realize how supportive they are. Mm. Um, and so I had a lot of resentment because even though they were supporting me, they weren't supporting me the way I envisioned, which is like, I want to be a girl, buy me girls clothes, this Barbie does that, like just be full fab straight away. Yeah. Don't cut my hair. <laughs> but I think um, they were supporting me in a sense of like, to their knowledge mm-hmm. of the world and how they would receive me. Mm-hmm. So like they would kind of like micromanage my identity without really telling me to stop being who I am. Mm. Um, And I had a problem with that, but that was not me realizing the micromanaging about how I appear and things um, was for my safety. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so I quickly realized that, but I also, when I transitioned and 
got a bit older, I learned that like when you transition, your family transitions with you. Mm. And I found out that my dad would get teased at his job because I am who I am. Mm. And then and growing up. And so it was beautiful to go to his job as full pretty girl. And then they were like, who's that girl? And, you know, the, the boys at his job was like, that's my daughter. Mm. And so it went from teasing to now flexing. And then they would go to him and be like, we saw your daughter on um, on the newspaper or on TV. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it's like, a, it's a nice switch up. Mm. Um, and I'm glad that I could do that for him. Amazing. Oh, that's so beautiful. Um, and how did you navigate intimacy and relationships at school or growing up? Um, poorly. <laughs> um, so, we all? <laughs> yeah, girl, it was a lot of um, validate me mm-hmm. <laughs> um, instead of self-validation. I yeah. think a lot of us are so are brought up in a way where, like, the format is, you know, you grow you grow up, go to kindergarten, go to school, work, married, done. Mm-hmm. And so I had this idea when I was young that to be, to have a partner, um, specifically a man, was like the ultimate female fantasy, like womanhood. Mm-hmm. And and I feel like the comfort of a man made me feel like a woman mm-hmm. and validated that. Mm-hmm. And then I also realized, like, in high school, it's better to be desired than bashed. And so mm. a lot of um, my growing up was to please the male gaze or else I'm going to get a hiding, you know, or mm. else I'm going to be beat up. And as much as I tried my best to please the male gaze, I couldn't help but still be flamboyant, a theater major, a dancer. <laughs> and so, like, I, I noticed that... Um, when you are trying to appeal to these men, they also don't want you to have a voice. Mm. Um, and and being so extroverted and loud and and flamboyant and femme, and so and that just couldn't that just didn't resonate to me. So like as much as I try to be appealing, I still was annoying. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, so I learned in my um, growing up in high school, um, intimacy uh, was difficult because it was more to cater to the intimacy of men and mm. their desires and the male gaze. Mm. Then I took that with me into studying. And then I had, in my adult life, I had dated a guy from overseas. And it went totally south. Like it was, when I got to Australia, it was actually horrible. And then my, I finally asked my parents for advice. And this is like the proper time I actually asked them for relationship advice (laughs) as well. And then when I got home, my best friend like cried and said like, you need to stop doing this. Um, We just can't. Um, we just don't know what to do with you because, mm. like, you constantly put yourself in certain positions with for this, like, male validation mm. and we're so worried about you, but you keep, you know. Then I really thought about it and I'm like, my family and friends being loving up on me and here's all my time and effort and my mental space is literally catering to men mm. and, and for that validation. And so I made the switch and I said to myself that... If you don't love me and respect me, you don't deserve that type of love for me or that mm. type of energy. And so until I get a partner, I will invest into those that 
give me that energy. And so mm. I started investing in my friends and family, and now I'm investing in my chosen family. Mm. And then where I am today is invest in yourself now. Yes! <laughs> Fuck yes. Oh. So lots of life lessons. Wow. How are you feeling about sex and pleasure in the stage in, of your life now? It's getting too much. <laughs> um, I am very sexually liberated. Um, it's getting too I mean, much. Give me some of that. <laughs> I mean, why, you know, get yourself off when someone else can do it? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I'm, I'm super sexually liberated in the sense of um, reclaiming my body and my mm-hmm. pleasure. And wherever that looks like on my body, I should be in, I should be able to activate it. Mm. So I'm always kind of like um, trying to develop nuances of pleasure in my body. And so for a long period of time, like growing up, like no one would touch downstairs for a lot of the girls mm. because we felt like such a dysphoria with our bodies. And because we're told if that is a man downstairs, when trans women can identify as women regardless of what they look like or what their body is. Mm. And so I decided to think of like this idea of reclamation and reclaiming my body and reclaiming my body looks like enjoying its natural pleasures. Mm. And so in my journey of sexual liberation and and having sovereignty over myself and autonomy, I literally have been in in a place where like I'm getting mine. It's my turn. Yes, it is. And it's so interesting because like (laughs) I I like that's why I kind of now identify as pansexual because Mm. like um straight men are boring like their their ideas of sex is not wide range like Mm. queer people for me are so broad in terms of exploring pleasure and what that looks like and and offering well queer people that know who they are (laughs) (laughs) because we do know the queer delos it's like give me a blow and go and i'm like sweetie um but yeah and so <laughs> i'm all about like yeah like getting mine and mm. um having my turn mm. and and it, and because i have been exploring that unapologetically mm. i now um like i see sex as beautiful but not so like untouchable mm. like i think so, so many people have this idea like my body is my temple i don't give it to anyone and i was like okay cool that's cool mm. But it's also beautiful to offer yourself and mm. enjoy pleasure. Like there's other ways, and it's okay to appreciate different people and their styles of how they preserve their bodies or how they share their bodies. Totally. And so my thing is like, um, I'm always on the hunt for pleasure, and I'm I'm a f- I'm a flirt. So good luck if you want a monogamous relationship with me. <laughs> Um, but I do say like I'll be a monogamous for one year or two and then we're opening it up. Um, and I but I reflect it back to um who I am. So when I say like earlier that I'm in love with who I am, just not how I am. So mm. what I mean by who I am is pre colonization, it was very fluid. And Fafa fingers who uh, can also identify as trans women, gay men, and non-binary people in a modern-day world, mm. uh, were seen as like goddesses, and everyone wanted to fuck them. Mm. And so, in my mind, reflecting about that in modern-day context, for me, so many brown poly men are de love for like queer people in general, mm. and 
but that is our history, that this is normal. And so I feel like for me, um, this discreet behavior and delo behavior is you denying who you are mm. and what you feel natural to engage with. And then there you're at a loss because you can't have a full experience because of what society has taught you and what westernized cultures has taught you. Mm. And so for me, I have unpacked that and I have been walking around like a garden that <laughs> deserves all the, you know, booty clothes I deserve. <laughs> Um, but I will admit that um, part of my sexual liberation has also come with the idea that um, no one can handle me in a relationship. Mm-hmm. So everyone, like, small talk, sex, that's all you're worth. Because for me, I feel like that's all we can evolve to. Mm-hmm. I look at myself in my life and be like, you could never handle me in a relationship. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you can handle me in bed, like mm-hmm. you know? Yes. And so I look at my worth and and how I am and mm. and who I am. And I'm just like, no one in Auckland can. <laughs> like, yeah. I would probably not be in a relationship, but, like, in terms of people that have crossed puzzles, like, I have no hope. And so in my head, I'm like, <laughs> he's probably in New York or she's probably in New York yeah. or they are probably in New York. Yes. Um, but, yeah, I do have a fantasy of dating a fine black trans man in America. Mm, <sighs> girl to that yeah yes so do you have plans to move overseas or what's the vibe there so um i do feel like it's really important to get out of the nest um Mm -hmm. if you live in new zealand and australia there needs to be a certain point where you leave the nest to not only flourish and explore and expand but also get out before we destroy each other Mm -hmm. i think the NZ and um, more so NZ is so small um, that it's kind of like trapping so much personalities in one room. And I feel like this country, um, we could literally ruin ourselves. Like we could destroy each other. Mm. It's like tall puppy syndrome. Um, and even like developing, like let's say I did a theater show and then I developed it. And then, like, tell everyone to come watch it again. That's just a different, like, an elevated version. And mm-hmm. then and then I'll do it one more time. And they're like, okay, girl, you're doing the same show. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. in bigger countries, you can travel that show in one city. Mm-hmm. And not everyone has seen it. And so I feel like so um, we're getting sick of, like, creating a new show every year or every two years because we've already seen it and we feel a bit hesitant to keep going with the one work. Mm-hmm. And so for your sanity, do the one work. And take it around the world mm-hmm. for like a year or two and then make a new one in New Zealand and then go do the same thing. Yeah, beautiful. And I just feel like um, I've been an artist here since 2011 and I'm looking at my vocabulary of work and I'm like, I've created so much just because we've already seen it Yeah, in this country. Mm. And so I'm like, I could probably take one of my works from like four years ago to Australia and do it there. And they would be like, oh my God. <laughs> But in New Zealand, we're like, ah, oh, another story, please. Yeah. Oh, we've yeah. seen that story. <laughs> Have you got, um, like, friends and community over in Australia that you could go and, like, stay with them? Yeah, I yeah. do. Um, beautiful, boring community there. Yeah. And I have um, a House of Iman chapter over there as well. Cool. And so I've been having, um, like, strengthening my relationships there. And it's super beautiful. And so I do um, intend on 
moving there, I would say, for a bit for now. Yeah. I never say, like, move there forever or whatever because you never know what happens. No. And so I like to kind of go with the spontaneity of where it would take me. Mm. Um, also not holding myself from coming home. Mm. And, like, and making people feel like if you come home too early, you failed. Like, yeah. That's not even a thing, girl. No, it's not a thing. I'm coming home. Like, <laughs> and what? <laughs> Yes. Oh my god, it's like, okay. People make it a thing, don't like, they? Like, get over a, it. Such I'm a big home. deal. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, so it didn't go well. And what? Yes. <laughs> so, so in my head, like, I am planning to um, make the little shift um, over. Yeah. But I probably will be back and forth because i got big projects here next year as well. Um, but there's something I talked to um, Zeki. He told me, like, when I was contemplating about moving, um, he was saying, there's something about being an artist in New Zealand that puts you on mm. um, compared to the rest of the world. Like when you think about, because he's a DJ and works in parties and stuff like that. Mm. And so he was just like, and he DJed our LSS party, which is a boring party house of mine hosted. And he was like, look at this partying. Heaps of people doing that in Australia. Only a few people are doing it in New Zealand. Mm. You stand out. And so, like, there's something beautiful about um, New Zealand. And then, obviously, like, um, Lance Savali. Yes. He, he's, like, the Chris Brown of New Zealand. Yes. And so, like, he would probably stay here because he'd be, you know, more centred, gets more money here, and then go back and forth. Yeah, But for some reason, true. you can see that he always comes back home. Mm. And so there's something about home here that uh, really elevates individuals. Mm. Um, and you can see that everyone is always looking in New Zealand, mm. like even through like the lens of like Periscope or, and, yeah. and even like in our own contemporary artists and um, just even our land, people want to come film their movies here. Yeah. And so there's something great about New Zealand that I always want to acknowledge. Mm. I mean, Aotearoa. Mm. And so I would never not want to hesitate coming back. Mm. Beautiful. Yeah. Amazing. Um. And so with all the wisdom that you have now based on all of your incredible life experience, what would you tell your younger self? Chill out, girl. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, um, I would say, um, oh, what would I say, girl? Choose you. Really figure out what love looks like and then chase that. And then I would say to my younger self, are we transitioning? What is it? Is it giving trans? Is it giving femme queen? Or are we transitioning? Okay, cool. What is it looking like? And then talk about the fantasy and it was like, okay, what are mm. we going to take to get there? Mm. And then I would probably say like, get your license. <laughs> Honestly, get it before you leave school, girl. <laughs> and like, find a job. <laughs> Dairy, dairy, find a job, preferably one that isn't at the mall because you want to build up into like something higher and higher and higher. Hmm. And then um, stretch. Flexibility is key, girl. You want to be a dancer, girl, stretch. And then last one, read a book. Mm, nice. Girl, nice. Read nice. a book. <laughs> Five books a day, girl. Something. Read a damn book. Five books a day is extreme. <laughs> A week or something. <laughs> Start small. Make your way to novels. <laughs> Baby steps. <laughs> Amazing. Girl. Yes, to all of those. I love them. Um, 
And final question, most important question. What is your favorite finger food? My favorite finger food. <laughs> Why do I go straight to sex for that? Um, <laughs> no, you can go in <laughs> any direction. As my welcome. favorite finger food, finger food. You know, it's so funny because that's so not an islander thing. We don't do finger food. Mm. We do palm food. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. Um, okay, favorite finger food. I love a watermelon. Beautiful. I love fruit. I mm. think a good finger food is fruit. Um, and then I am a very, very much a sweet tooth. What? What? What is it? What's your favorite? Um, gummies and chocolate. Oh, yes to that. Yeah. To that, there what chocolate? That. Oh, you can't tell me, ask me that question because it's too hard. We're okay, wait. okay, um, okay, who's top dog? Top dog, um, okay, I would go with the modern day flake Ooh. with the coverage so it doesn't mm-hmm. flake around because that's what always pisses me off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I need mm-hmm. to eat it all, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll do flake, I'll give it to the flakes. Stunning. Gorgeous. Flakes is for the pussy girls. <laughs> Flakes is kind. Okay, yes. Thank you so much, no, Jason. Thank you for having me. It's such an honor to have you here. And I've learned so much. And you're amazing. And thank you for your vulnerability mm-hmm. and sharing and openness and courage and just all of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for dining with Finger Food. If you liked this conversation, you can tip your maitre d' by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing this podcast with your friends. If you want to find more of my podcasts, go to stacyogorman.com. Stay safe, stay sexy. See you soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.